but I just had to scratch the coffee itch. I just had to see, I could see that there was a gap in the market um, and I had to see if it was something that I could be passionate about. Hey, hey, welcome to the Up and Becoming podcast, a space for inspiring and empowering conversations for the dreamers, creators, and self-starters. I'm your host, Kurt Bingham, and it's so good to have you here. I'm super excited about bringing you this episode because I'm speaking with Fleur Stud, one of the most influential women in the world-renowned Melbourne coffee scene. She is the director of Market Lane Coffee and Melbourne Coffee Merchants. We explore how she left her marketing job to pursue her dreams, why coffee matters, her thoughts on marketing that lasts, and how her and her team have built a coffee company that is truly changing the lives of others. So without further ado, enjoy today's episode. Hey, Fleur. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so good to have you here. I think this is like a dream come true for me because I, um, I've, I've like Market Lane's been one of my favorite cafes for a long time. Um, and I'm also, I guess, a coffee subscriber. So it's, um, it's pretty cool to be talking to the person behind it all. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> um, I always like to start up and becoming with this question. What did you want to become when you were a kid? Oh God. Um, when I was a kid, I don't know, probably a teacher. It's funny. I was walking my daughter home from school and she announced she wants to be a teacher so that she can supervise yard duty. Um, and yeah, I don't, I, I think as a kid, um, um, I remember wanting to be a teacher probably cause I looked up to my teachers at school. Um, but, um, in my teens and then when I went to uni I definitely um, knew then that one day I wanted to um, have my own business in in some way Um, I think that was born out of um, watching my dad own his own business um, and um, seeing how passionate he was about what he did so that was a big influence on me Um, and when I went to uni, I just, I picked a very general degree. So I just did a commerce arts degree um, at Melbourne. And during those years, I was always dreaming up different business ideas. Um, and then I fell in love with um, marketing while I was, was studying. So I majored in that um, and in psychology um, and politics in my arts. Um, wow. And then I went traveling um, and decided to pursue marketing for a while. Um, so I went to the UK and um, was lucky to land a job at lastminute.com, um, which was an um, online travel and kind of lifestyle um, brand. And they were one of the kind of darlings of the dot com era and wow. a really young dynamic company. And I really cut my teeth in marketing there and started off as a grad and worked my way up to be kind of head of marketing and loved it, um, learnt so much. Um, but in the background, I still had this kind of burning desire to do something that I, um, to, to create something and to build something that I really believed in and was passionate about. Um, so, That's, yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. I... I had I had similar ambitions actually. Um, I 
like I ended up studying marketing. Um, but I, I originally wanted to be a doctor as a kid, but um, that it um, I decided to pursue that and then found that I just loved business. I loved being able to create things for people. Um, and I think with marketing, especially, it's so interesting how you can seek to understand why people do what they do. And um, I guess that's even why I started this podcast, because I'm just, you know, curious about why people make the decisions they do to build things and start things. Um, but with, with uh, I guess, cutting your teeth into to marketing and, and uh, diving into that, what, what led you to food? What led you to coffee? So food was always a big part of our lives growing up. Um, dad, um, dad's business um, was focused on specialty cheese. So he was one of the, the first importers to bring in Parmesan to Australia and um, no specialty way. cheese to Australia. So when he, he came from the UK into Australia in the 80s and um, the when you went to the supermarket, um, most of the cheeses that were available was kind of coon or, you know, cheddar wrapped in tin foil. And um, there wasn't any artisan um, cheese being brought into Australia at that time. So he his background had been in specialty food in the UK, so he started a business focused on that. And over the years, I watched him, I watched him forge um, or educate the market um, around specialty cheese and explain why supporting artisan producers was so important, um, celebrating the flavours and the complexity of those cheeses um, and changing the landscape of, of um, the food industry and the cheese industry in Australia. And I found that really inspiring. Um, and as a result of his work, food was a big part of our household. So um, mealtimes were very um, special times. When we were travelling, food was always a big part of um, those adventures. And we'd spend a lot of time um, going to markets or driving across town to find, um, you know, the new bakery that had just opened or visit a restaurant that had just opened. So it was definitely something that was was celebrated and important in our lives. Um, so it, I, it's probably in reflection that I've realised how my, um, that all paths led to coffee, but um, but yeah, it, it definitely, Dad was a big influence there. Um, coffee, I came across um, kind of by accident. So in the UK, I was living um Oh, I used to visit Borough Market um, to, to buy food and there was an incredible coffee shop there called Monmouth Coffee um, and we used to go there and buy coffee beans for home but I had absolutely no idea about coffee being something that was differentiated. I just assumed all coffee was kind of the same um, and in going into that coffee shop and buying beans for home and having conversations with the staff, I realised um, when they asked me questions like, how do you like your coffee to taste? Do you like something that's full-bodied and chocolatey or do you like something that's more fruity? I had no concept of coffee tasting different. Mm. Um, <laughs> what is your choice? <laughs> yeah, um, I like coffees that are really sweet, um, that have um, a lifted acidity um, and are really balanced. Um, I tend to prefer coffees that have been wash processed rather than the natural naturally processed naturally <laughs> processed coffee can be quite boozy um so probably like more on the cleaner more refined angle yeah 
So, yeah. So that blew my mind standing at the counter and realising that I didn't understand coffee as a beverage um, and that kind of piqued my interest. And then um, after um, going to Monmouth, I came back to Australia and was visiting. We were still living in the UK at the time. And Dad took me to Sonali, which had just opened um, in South Melbourne. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that was owned by Mark Dundon at the time, and he was kind of one of the first micro-roasters focusing on specialty coffee in Melbourne, um, if not the first. And um, he was doing something really different and really unique, something that was quite similar to what Monmouth was doing, but we we hadn't seen that in Australia at that time. And through conversations with him, um, we learnt that specialty coffee and coffee with um, traceability and where you could find out things like um, who the farmer was or when the coffee was harvested or what the variety was, um, the, finding coffee that was traceable and, and of a exceptional quality didn't really exist in Australia at that time. Um, so I went back to the UK and started to do some research, chatted with Monmouth, quit my job at lastminute.com and <laughs> um, asked Monmouth if I could come and work with them for free um, for as long as my money would last. Um, so I stayed with them for about six months and started to learn about coffee um, wow. and also explore ways to bring great coffee into Australia. So that's kind of where the journey started. Ah, oh, there's so much in that. Wow, wow, wow. Um, for the listeners, those that don't know, St. Ali is uh, an incredible cafe in Melbourne, but they're also known for... Um, I have Actually, I, I'll get you to confirm this, but were they the ones that started the tasting notes so like explaining what was in the coffee or was that another person i don't know i it could have ah. it could have been sonali it could have been market lane um hey <laughs> it, it's we would um market lane would definitely we definitely presenting postcards with coffee with the tasting notes and then some information about where the coffee was sourced was something that Market Lane did. Sonali might have put it on their menus at the time, but they were definitely one of the first to present a menu of coffees where you could select different origins and also be transparent about what you were drinking. Um, that was a really a new a new thing. Typically when you went into cafes um, anywhere in Australia at the time, you'd just be presented with a blend um, rather than, any yeah any traceability provided about where the coffee was grown um and and some part of that was motivated by um the perception that the consumer wanted something that was very consistent and so people were striving for consistency and blending coffees to create consistent beverage that did taste the same um but but what has happened in the last decade is that people have realized that there's incredible um seasonality in coffee that should be celebrated there's amazing profiles that exist across farms um different farms in different regions and and that's now being celebrated in in coffee shops and coffee is now being presented as a differentiated beverage yeah i remember the first time i ever went to a cafe where they gave me one of these postcards um i'll i'll post it on instagram for the people that don't know what that looks like but uh it's pretty crazy to be able to read where your coffee's from, the people that made it, and um, even just having the tasting notes. Like, I loved how when I asked you just before, you know, what's your favorite your coffee to drink? You ha- you're so specific, like wash process. Um, that's something that I guess 
I want to work towards completely understanding more because I also work, I work as a barista and a photographer. Um, so coffee is definitely a big part of my world as well. Um, but I'd love to backtrack a little bit just to where you made that leap to work for, was it um, Mammoth? How do you say uh, that? Um, Monmouth Coffee. Monmouth. Yes. Yeah. When you, when you took the leap to, to leave a job that, like you said, was in the middle of a, yeah, like, uh, I guess, internet boom, it would have, I'm sure you're being paid quite well as well. What, why, you know, I can see that you have that passion to, to start a business and learn, but that's pretty risky. What, what was the, what was the thought process there? And, and how did you kind of take that leap? Were you, were you afraid? What, what was that like? Um, I think I'd been at, at lastminute.com for about five years at that point. Mm. Um, I think probably one of the things that made my decision easy was that we knew we were moving back to Australia. So um, I, my husband actually moved back to Australia before I did and I chose to stay on and, and spend the time at Monmouth. Um, I remember the CEO, Brent Hoberman of lastminute.com, taking me out for lunch um, when I resigned and he gave me about <laughs> 10 business ideas, which probably would have made me a lot more money, um, of things I should <laughs> consider setting up when I got back to Australia. Um, but I just had to scratch the coffee itch. I just had to see, I could see that there was a gap in the market. Um, and I had to see if it was something that I could be passionate about. And I think, so, so my time at Monmouth was, just trying to soak up and learn as much as I could about coffee. So I, I spent time cupping, I spent time packing coffee in the roastery, um, I spent time on the floor in the cafes and everyone was so generous with the knowledge that they shared with me during that time. I met Jason, my business partner there, he was working in the roastery and he used to come over and help show me how to pack coffee more efficiently. Um, and <laughs> answer all my silly questions about roasting because I really didn't know anything. Um, but it was when I was working behind the counter at Monmouth and selling beans to customers that I knew that I'd found something that I really wanted to to do, and that was to educate people about coffee and explain to them why spending more on a coffee um, that is of a great quality, whether producer has been paid a premium to produce an exceptional product um, was a good thing and how that would make the entire supply chain more sustainable. Um, I also got so excited seeing people taste two coffees side by side and understand that there was a difference and that really excited me and I think coming back to what I was saying about dad and cheese I think he he educated the market around specialty cheese and made them appreciate how good and special beautiful cheese can be and and spent decades um, pursuing that and I saw the same kind of opportunity in coffee and and that's that's what got me and that's what made me realize that's what I wanted to do so yeah it, yeah, it didn't know. feel that risky or that scary I guess at the time because I was exploring something that really excited me yeah, you're ready. I, I love that. I, can... I was also young. I didn't have a mortgage. Um, yeah, you know. That's where I'm at. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just cutting my teeth on all the things, you know, yeah. podcasting, baristering, phot photographing. But yeah, it's a good time. Um, having a family one day will be a great time too, though. Um, 
I guess I love that your your background with your dad and like the the tastes of the cheese and all of that. You can see that really does flow into to what you do today. With um your dad sourcing cheese, did he also have I guess relationships with the producers and suppliers? And you saw a little bit of that prior to what you do now with Market Lane. Yeah, absolutely. Like very long-standing, very loyal relationships. I think the other big thing was that he just would never compromise on quality, and that was always kind of the driving force of of his business and of his ethos. So that was a that was a huge influence um, for me as well in kind of taking an approach that put kind of quality at, at the forefront. Um, so yeah, they'd be the two biggest influences, I'd say. Yeah, and I guess, uh, you know, I read I read a little article from Bellroy about about your work, and it said that you've you've been like the locations that you're um, I guess have relationships with are Guatemala, like El Salvador, Rwanda. Um, how did you build those relationships? Like, did you just go over to those locations and and try to source some beans? How does how does that work from farming to the coffee that we drink it's probably yeah. a big question but <laughs> yeah um so initially i worked with another importer um based in the uk called mccanter um mm. now we source 100 percent independently um but they were they they taught me a lot and i learned a lot working with them in the early days um um a lot of it is about spending time um, in the places that we source the coffee um, and showing up every year to purchase the coffee um, and cut the coffee, visit the farms um, and and spend time with the producers. Um, there's a lot of relationships that have spanned over the last decade and we've been lucky to represent the same coffees every year. Uh, there's also newer origins for us like um, Colombia and Ethiopia, um, and Kenya, where we're we're building more direct relationships. Historically, we might have been able to source coffees out of um, those places, but not had as um, especially in places like Ethiopia, not had direct relationships with a washing station or um, a single producer. And that's um, in part because of the infrastructure that exists there. Um, but the industry is very supportive and quite small. So sometimes we might be connected to a producer through a friend in the industry. Um, there might be really re well-respected exporters that we that we work with in a particular origin who then connect us to, to individual producers or cooperatives. Um, it's quite different in each of the spaces or each of the places that we work. Um, but the really special thing that's come out of it is so many of the producers that we work with have become very dear friends and, and almost like family and people that we really care about and really want to support um, year in, year out. And that, that's really special. Yeah. And if you could help us, I guess, feel a little bit closer to um, those relationships, you know, like for people here in Australia, we're often not thinking too much about that. Um, and I know that that's something you're definitely um, trying to educate and, um, empower people with the knowledge so they can make better choices, I guess, with mm. with what they drink. And uh, what are some what are some practical ways for us to be a bit more aware of the, I guess, the impact it has um, 
in our decisions here? Um, that's a really good, good question, and, it, and it's quite a complex one. Um, well, what, one of the challenges that we have as roasters is trying to explain that and make it easy for people to understand that they're making a purchase decision that is supporting um, a more sustainable supply chain. Um, as a, if I was walking blind into a new town where I didn't know anything about the companies that were there or the roasters that were there, the first thing I would look for is a local roaster. Um, and then there'd be very simple things that I'd be looking for in walking into that cafe or roastery, like are they telling me where this coffee is sourced from? Can, can I find out things like the variety of the coffee, the country it was produced, um, the name of the producer or the name of the cooperative behind it? Are they telling me when the coffee was roasted, um, when the, what year the coffee was harvested? Like, is, is that kind of information available? And I think immediately um, if you're seeing those things from, from a, um, a coffee roastery or from a cafe that's presenting um, particular coffees, then it shows that they care about traceability and transparency to a degree. Engaging with the people behind the bar to see if they have an appreciation for where the coffee is sourced or the, the, um, and, can, and can share information about that supply chain, I think, is also can be also really powerful. Um, and there are so many roasters now in Australia and around the world sourcing fantastic coffees and paying great prices for them. Um, there has been a wider movement towards transparency um, in supply chains, so publishing prices um, to try and demonstrate to the consumer that a fair price is being paid for the coffee. Um, there are some challenges with that and it's one reason that we've chosen not to publish those prices at Market Lane. If a consumer asks us to publish, um, to, to communicate a price, we'll communicate it with them if we've had the permission from the producer. Um, but we've, we have, we have, we've chosen not to actually publish each price that we pay for the coffee. And the reason for that is we don't think, um, it, out of context, those prices are meaningless. And it's also a lot to expect the consumer yeah. to understand if that price is fair or not. I've had that experience myself, <laughs> asking, yeah. asking those questions, because we truly don't know the ramifications um, of, of all the, you know, going all the way back to the bean, to the cup. Mm. Um, and it is so complex. Uh, so even, I guess, doing a bit of research today, I was like, there's so many things we could talk about, <laughs> yes. especially like we can talk about farming and, and explaining. Um, I might actually briefly explain what cupping is. Uh, you, you'd actually probably be better than I am. What What is cupping? If you could give us a brief explanation. Yeah, so cupping is how we evaluate the quality of a coffee. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's great because if you do it anywhere in the world, people will approach it in the same way and evaluate the coffee um, using a very similar score sheet. So it creates a universal language to, to evaluate coffee. Um, we do it by putting some ground coffee in a cup and then pouring hot water over the top, letting it steep for four minutes, removing a crust that forms on the end and then slurping the coffee and spitting it into a cup. Um, and as we do that, we um, are thinking about things like the sweetness of the coffee, the acidity, the mouthfeel, the aftertaste, the flavour attributes, and we're, we're giving scores to all of those things. And then we end up with a score out of 100 um, that indicates the quality. 
So anything above 80 would be considered um, specialty. Um, and um, obviously the higher up you go, the, the, the better the quality of the coffee is. We use it, we do it all the time, um, like probably three to five times a week and we'll be cupping coffees that we're purchasing. So if we're, uh, if we've got coffee that's either, um, if, we, if we're evaluating coffees that we want, want to buy from Origin, we'll, we might do that at Origin or we might do it back here in Australia. We'll also do it when the coffees go on the water and we want to make sure that they're tasting the way they were when we purchased them. As soon as they land, we'll cut them again and then we'll cut them throughout their lifetime to see how they how they develop over time. So at three months and six months, we'll also cut the coffees. Wow. And then we also cut them as we roast them to make sure that we're, we're doing the best representation of them and we've, we've roasted them well. So before any of the coffees go out into our shops, they'll be cut and approved and then, and then released. That's such an interesting process. I've, um, yeah, I've done many cuppings myself and it, the first time I ever did it, you, if you, um, we, you spit out the coffee, like for the listeners, you spit out the coffee because you're drinking like maybe sometimes it could be like 12 cups, you know, at different, different roasting processes and you get such a caffeine high. So it is, um, it's definitely an experience. And for anyone that does, um, yeah, anyone that wants to go to a cafe and cup, I know in Sydney there's like Mecca, um, Skittle Lane do it, and in Melbourne I know you guys. Do you guys do uh, like community cuppings or like public cuppings or is it more just within Market Lane? Um, we we definitely do um, at Market Lane in non-COVID times. Um, uh, of course. Of so, course. Um, yeah, usually on Fridays at our Parade Market shop and also at our Coventry Market shop, we do we do public cuppings and they're a really nice way for customers to taste coffees side by side. Um, we, we cut blind is the other thing that I didn't mention. So we never reveal yeah, what the coffees are before. Um, while we're tasting them, and that's just to stop preconceptions of um, what a coffee should taste like or what it will be like. And then at the end, we reveal um, the coffees in the cup. Um, and yeah, definitely, it's definitely the most effective way of um, understanding how a coffee is different or working out what you like in a coffee by tasting them side by side because you've got a you've got a comparison. Yeah, and if you when you are tasting coffee, any tips for um, how to actually get the, like understand the tastes? Like, I know that one of my friends said you close your eyes and you think of a color, yeah. <laughs> and like it could be fruity, etc. Is there any ways that you um, would suggest on on how best to taste? I love the color thing. I think that's um, a really powerful way of of um, thinking about flavor. Um, the things that I that, that I always um, talk about learning, like learning to cup and developing your cupping skills, as like each tasting being like a page in the telephone book. And over time, cupping with different people with different backgrounds, you become a, a better a better cupper. Um, and it's definitely something that you um, you're always learning, and you're always learning. Like I'm still learning, um, and and reflecting on the way um, that I'm tasting and evaluating coffee. Um, the other um, 
thing that I found really helpful when I started cupping was just starting to evaluate um, other things that I was eating. So if I was, I don't know, crunching on an apple or, um, I don't know, eating citrus fruit, reflecting on what the acidity was in that that apple or in that um, piece of citrus fruit and how um, sharp it was or how the sweetness balanced it out and then just consciously eating and thinking about flavour in those contexts then made me a much better cupper on the cupping table. Yeah, it's so interesting when you do take the space and think about what you're eating, think about what you're drinking. It, yeah, my mum, uh, she's probably listening actually. <laughs> my my mum's a her, she's a chef, um, not at the moment, but she taught me so much about food and tasting, and it it does it does open up such a, a new way of I guess even life. Like when you you're purchasing food and you're making. Uh, decisions on on taste um i definitely suggest it for anyone that you know wants to understand coffee and food a bit a bit better i'd love to um chat a little bit about marketing with because i know that you you know you have you obviously have a lot of experience in marketing and there are some people um listening that are building brands and starting businesses and wanting to pursue uh their their ambitions um how how did you how did you build I guess Market Lane um, into the brand that it is today? What were some core I guess core things to um, to look for in in building a brand? Yeah, so I think the first thing that to be honest wasn't a really conscious thing, um, yeah. but when you look back, you go, oh yeah, <laughs> that was it. That was we that hasn't changed, and I think. Um, one of the really fortunate things was that Jason and I had very, very similar values or the same values and the same vision of what we wanted Market Lane to be. And we've always been a, um, a values-led business and the values have helped our decision-making um, and made decision-making, in a sense, very easy because we've, we've always kind of stuck to our values when making decisions or choosing who we're going to work with or when we're employing people or any business decision that we're making where we kind of come back to those values. But it, if someone had said that to me um, in my comments, yeah. I'd have gone, oh, yeah, yeah, but it maybe wouldn't have um, felt like that was authentic but because it was so innate to both of us in what we wanted. It, it was kind of an unconscious thing. But Quality was always um, one of those values. Um, really caring about traceability and transparency was another kind of key pillar. Um, and then sustainability has also been a, a big driver for us. So those kind of those pillars have always underlined uh, business decisions. Um, we we invested in a great designer from the get go. So we've worked with Swear Words, um, our creative design agency, for um the the last decade and um they wow. helped us create our brand identity and have helped it evolve over over the last decade and that's something that i guess um we've we put value in investing in an identity um and and then evolving that um we've never really done marketing per se like we 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 have an instagram account and um we're on Facebook and in the early days we were quite active on Twitter, not so much now. 
Um, yeah. And um, so they've been um, they've been really important platforms for us, but we've tried to use them really um, authentically and use them to provide information about um, uh, coffees and, and help that transparency mission of telling the story of the producer or helping to make people um, helping make people um, helping people make better coffee at home or so the content that we post on those channels um, or celebrating a local ceramicist or a local producer or another local business that has great values that we really believe in. So um, those channels haven't necessarily been used to drive sales, but more to to tell a story or to foster our community. Um, so, yeah, probably we've only done a tiny bit of um, paid search and um, social media advertising um, in the last six months, and that's been driven mainly by COVID and needing to um, throw the business upside down a bit and focus on other channels and see what opportunities there are. Yeah, I like your coffee subscribing. Um, I could see that you guys have definitely been working on that, and it's amazing. Yeah. For anyone that wants a good coffee, <laughs> jump on Market Lane's coffee subscribing because you get like a bag a month, and it's so cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the coffee subscription has actually been something that we've done. We did we launched the coffee sub when we launched Market Lane, and... Um, it's obviously grown a lot from those early days, yeah, but it yeah. was something we really, we just wanted to make having great coffee at home really easy. And so the idea is that you sign up and you get coffee to your door every fortnight and we send a different coffee each time. And the amazing thing about it has been that it's enabled us to buy really tiny micro lots when we're at Origin that wouldn't make sense to roll out into the shops because they're just too small. But um, in the cases where we really wanted to buy them, we've bought them for our subscriber base and shared the coffees through that channel. So it's been it's been a really fun um, place so to share special coffees. Yeah. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit about. Um, oh, I actually actually have to have to backtrack to this one question. Is there is there a story of um, a producer or a farmer that that really has impacted you? Or because I just I love the thought of you know, traveling over and, um, and, and, you know, you said that like family, how did that, uh, how did that start? Like, is there anyone that you're like, oh, this is a, this is a standout story for me? Yeah. Oh gosh, there's so many. Um, (laughs) I think the two origins that we've worked the hardest to educate people about and celebrate have been Bolivia and Rwanda. Um, and that's because their origins where we can see the potential for coffee to have a, a big positive impact on the communities um, that produce it um, there. And they're also, I guess, lesser known. Um, in Rwanda, coffee's played a huge role um, post the genocide um, in bringing up the standard of living um, of the communities that produce it. It was something that was grown across Rwanda in people's backyards um, pre the genocide, but just sold um, on the internal um, market at, at, at a commodity level. So there, was, um, there wasn't a premium being paid for coffee um, at that point. And then after the genocide, um, 
the government started to look at different ways to try and um, regenerate the economy and they identified that coffee grew everywhere so people wouldn't be ripping things out and planting something it was already it already existed somewhere but they identified that if they tried to focus on specialty um, they would be able to get a higher return for the coffee and and improve the livelihoods of a large subsection of their um, population. So they started to build uh, washing stations all around the country to um, be able to control processing better and lift the quality of the coffee. And every time that we've visited there, um, it just it feels like you can see the direct impact that that coffee is having on those communities. Um, and and anecdotally, by talking to the people, it, it's done a it's done a huge job in bringing um, different the different um, ethnic groups together and making them work together post the genocide. And that's obviously before we started working there, but it, it was really good at bringing back social cohesion. It's created a lot of employment and a lot of um, in in different areas from sorting coffee through to managing a washing station or managing. Um, a mill. Um, there's a huge amount of women that are involved in production, which is really inspiring. The, the one challenge with um, coffee in Rwanda is that there's this defect called potato defect, um, and it's a single bean defect. If you grind it, it um, and it ends up in your cup, it can smell like um, raw potato. Um, and <laughs> as a result, lots of people have been quite scared to to buy Rwandan coffee or to showcase Rwandan coffees in their cafe because they're worried about this defect um, appearing. Um, and so from the get-go with Market Lane, um, we've really made an effort to showcase Rwandan coffees, celebrate them, educate people about the defect and not to be scared of it, um, and done a huge amount of work um, to, to, to drive up our purchasing volumes from, from that origin. Um, so that's definitely been one, in, one of the most um, meaningful relationships for us. Um, in, and, and we've also worked with um, different washing stations there to find meaningful ways to support the community. So um, we, in one cooperative, we um, buy a lot that is produced only by women and we pay them a premium um, and add a premium to our bags and send that money back. And we built a community centre for um, women to work in the off-season to produce other craft. We've also... Um, helped fund um, a pasteurisation machine um, that was built in the dairy at, at a cooperative called Takundakawa. And that meant they, they were providing their cooperative members with cows and starting to produce milk and they built a dairy. But by pasteurising the milk, it meant that they could then sell the milk on in Kigali because um, it had a longer shelf life. So um, it's definitely about, first and foremost, buying coffee, paying a price that is fair and that is sustainable and enables them to continue investing quality. And then outside of that, looking at ways that we can creatively support them um, and their wider community in, in Rwanda, we've been able to do that really well. Um, I could go on for hours about this. Bolivia is another place. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I, that's, that's amazing. I love... Um, I love how we can have the ability through business and our decisions to not only, you know, educate and empower people here in Australia, but honestly, like change, change an entire place like Rwanda. That's, that's such, that's incredible to see that you guys are doing that is, um, 
yeah, it just it, it really speaks volumes. And um, I think more businesses need to make, you know, in, intentional decisions to uplift other other areas. Um, yeah, it's it's really special. We actually had Sam um, from Boof Coffee out to Australia um, a couple of years ago now, and it was so special to take him into our coffee shops and into Attica, who were serving his coffee at the time, and, and into other cafes around Australia that had also bought um, his coffee. And he was famous. People, he walked into the coffee shops and wow. people were like, Sam, it's so nice to meet you. And, <laughs> um, and that kind of personal connection, we've been telling his story for, for such a long time that people feel, felt like they knew him and felt really connected to his cooperative, or it's not a cooperative, his business book yeah. um, and his family story. And um, that was really special. And I think for us kind of the the benchmark for success is if I see someone walk into Market Lane and get excited to see Boof Coffee on our shelves or Santa Clara from Guatemala and recognise it and remember it from the previous year, um, our job is done. We've, we've done a really good job at at, at marketing their coffee, at building a, a, a name for their coffee in the same way that you walk into a wine shop and you look out for a particular um, either growing region or a particular winemaker and, and then select that bottle off the shelf um, with trying to do the same with coffee. So when that happens, it, it um, I get really excited. <laughs> oh, I, I'm excited. I'm excited for you. That's, ex- that's so exciting. Um, if we... If people do want to dig a little bit deeper into, I guess, you know, reading more about the stories um, of the people that uh, produce your coffee and farm your coffee, is there anywhere they can go? Yeah, so definitely on our website. So we we yeah. always write up information on each of the coffees that we, we source. Um, there's also a ton of information on our blog. So we'll often write longer pieces about that um, on our journal of our website. And then our sister business is Melbourne Coffee Merchants, which is the green bean importing side of the business. And on that website, that's very content rich and has a lot of information about the coffees that that we source and videos and tons of photos. So um, that also is a great resource. And then there's amazing um yeah blogs and um stuff on the on the on the web as well but they're good starting yeah amazing yeah i'll um i'll make sure that those those links are in um in the show notes for the listeners um i i guess like to to wrap up i wanted to ask a couple more questions but i guess more looking at your day-to-day it obviously would look different now with covid um but what What's a like? What's a day look like for you? You know, directing Market Lane, being a mum, staying inspired. Are, are there any things that you do to kind of stay on top of all of that? It's pretty chaotic, I won't lie. Um, <laughs> especially, um, yeah, juggling family and work. Um, yeah, it's um, it, it's a bit of a juggle. Um, we've recently moved our roastery to Brunswick East. Um, and, um, uh, my house is very close by. So suddenly, uh, um, and Jason's house is also very close by and Jenny, who's the other co-owner of Market Lane is also very close. So it feels like for all of us, (laughs) we've, we've very consciously shrunk the bubble, which makes, um, the balance a little bit easier. Um, but, um, I, 
I'm I'm the director of um, both Market Lane Coffee and Melbourne Coffee Merchants, the green bean business that I mentioned. So oh, um, I, I'm constantly kind of wearing and both hats during a day, um, which can be challenging at times. Um, but there's a lot of crossover as well. So on Melbourne Coffee Merchant side, a lot of my time is spent cupping, um, which we talked about before. So tasting coffees and, <laughs> and you must have so much coffee in your in your blood system. Yeah. <laughs> not too much. I only drink two cups a day, or or cup, and not do both. Um, yeah. Do you ever get yeah. an upset stomach, like from too much drinking I, coffee? I don't. I I like the most I would drink in a day is three cups, but I I kind oh, yeah. of know that I'm better on two, so I. I yeah, I need your pour over tips. I'll have to ask you after this conversation for your recipe. Yes, <laughs> because yes, for sure. Maybe mine's too acidic or dark or something. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so a lot of cupping um, in the and, and then um, purchasing decisions on the MCM side. Um, on Market Lane side, I um, um, it's quite varied, but it'll be everything from. Um, worrying about how we're merchandising things in the shops um, through to um, at the moment we're building a new website so I'm writing a lot of the content um, for that doing a lot of the kind of um, yeah copy copywriting um, we've we've just created a new brew guide for home so a lot of my time um, over the last few weeks has been um, creating that guide, proofreading it, getting it triple checked. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of, it's a bit of everything. Sometimes it's very operational. Sometimes it's more around the storytelling side of things. Um, we're building, we're doing a reconciliation plan for Market Lane at the moment. So that's um, taking up a lot of time. We're trying to get B Corp certified. Um, so that's another wow. um, big project. So um, yeah it's quite mixed but um i love it yeah that's awesome <laughs> um a beer corporation for those that don't know that's that's kind of the one of the highest levels of um accreditation for being sustainable hey is that yeah absolutely yeah. and i think um for so, we realized that for so long we do a lot of things that we and, but we're not very good at telling people that we're doing them um, or, <laughs> or communicating about it. So part of its um, motive, part of our motivation is to just um, to let our customers know and our, um, and our community know about some of the stuff that we do behind the scenes. Um, and it's definitely just to become a better business. So by going through the rigor of B Corp, it forces you to look at every part of your business and, um, evaluate how you're doing and how you could be doing better. And um, for us, that's really motivating. And so much of it is not about the actual certification at the end, but but the motivation to be a better business in, in going through that process. Um, so that's that's definitely the motivation behind doing it. I like to ask five questions um, to end every up becoming up and becoming episode um so answer these as quickly as you can <laughs> yes. um favorite film or series oh my god i've just watched fleabag and loved it <laughs> oh i have a friend that's obsessed with fleabag it's, it it's is great. good <laughs> yeah. um what's one book that's left a mark on you I'm reading um, Julia Gillard's latest book at the moment and absolutely loving it. It's about women and leadership. 
and yeah that's it's i i just can't wait to jump into bed and read it <laughs> oh amazing okay yeah. i'll uh i'll link that one yeah. um what's one piece of advice you would tell your younger self okay, let's go back to that one keep going <laughs> yeah yeah what uh, what does becoming mean to you Ooh, I loved Michelle Obama's book. Um, I think it's maybe about being your authentic self and um, realizing your potential. Yeah, beautiful. I also love that book. What are you dreaming about right now? Oh, I'm dreaming about COVID being over and being able to travel again and visit our producers. It's just devastating to not be able to know that we can jump on a plane and go and visit. Yeah, completely. Oh, I would love to come sometime. <laughs> Just uh, I'll be a photographer. <laughs> yes. Yes, yeah, that'd I'm be looking amazing. forward to that too. <laughs> okay. Um, and advice to my younger I, yeah. self. Um, oh, I just think just enjoy being young. I think um, enjoy the freedom of being young and don't worry about things too much. Travel as much as you did. Um, yeah. And just enjoy joy being young. <laughs> oh, beautiful. I, I, yeah, I definitely, oh, I can't wait to travel. <laughs> like, yeah. I've got all this travel credit because I was meant to travel a lot this year. So oh, I'm ready. It's devastating. Yeah. It is. Um, yeah. Is well, I guess, yeah. Thanks so much for, for just, yeah, letting us know so much about coffee and so information rich like this conversation um which i'm really excited about people hearing but is there is there anything you want to leave us with before uh, we sign off um no i think just to the people out there that do want to set up their own business one day um i would say um find something that you're really passionate about um, think about what your values are. Um, if you if you are going to do it with someone, make sure that your values align, and then everything else will be quite easy um, from from there on in. Um, and thanks for having me. Thanks for yeah. Thanks for being here. For I really really love chatting to you. Thank you. Well, that was first dad. I hope that you guys got as much out of that conversation as I did. Um, I know I'm a bit of a coffee nerd. I hope there's some others out there and a shout out to the foodies as well. If you learn anything, uh, please share it with a friend. But most of all, I just loved how Fleur is changing people's lives through coffee and making decisions because we can be a bit more conscious. We can be uh, someone that thinks about others when we purchase things. So that's my encouragement to you this next week. Uh, take what we learn and you know, apply it to your business. But most of all, um, let's be thinking about people and let's be thinking about how we can make another person's life better. Uh, this is Kurt Bingham and I'll see you for the next episode.